Hi and hello watch fans and welcome to another Audicle Analysis double header. Today we're going to be chopping up the Audicle that David Vauche, our resident provocateur, recently provided for us, building towards a one watch collection. Now, we don't know if it's possible. We don't know if any of you listening will be able to envisage such a thing. But we're going to go through our collecting strategies in the first part of this two-parter. We're going to talk about exit watches, grail watches, one watch collections, and so on and so forth. And then in the second edition, we're going to revisit the process David went through to actually chop down his collection to fewer pieces than it once was. David, welcome to the studio. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. Alon, good to have you back, mate. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for the holiday you guys gave me. David, well done on your pilot episode of a regular The Real Time Show episode, the Q&A. I loved it. It was nice to sit back and relax and listen to you guys. So I, I felt like a real member of the Real Time Show network. So well done. Uh, well done on this article. I knew you were going to write it. I knew you were going to record it. I knew it's going to go air. I had stress from that moment and the stress has been building up up until this moment why did i have stress as a collector and my wife even calls me a hoarder i don't know if i should take that as an insult or wear that badge with pride but i have difficulty letting things go and as a collector we all daydream or have nightmares about bringing down your collection to one. And it's actually an antithesis, isn't it? Because if you have only one, you are not a collector anymore, are you? So maybe we should park that philosophical question for the end of part two. And I want to maybe jump the gun by saying, gents, should we maybe invite a psychologist for part three of this discussion. I mean, there's a lot of meat on the bone. There's surely plenty of things to discuss. It'd be very interesting to dig into why we collect in the first place, let alone the very specifics of the collecting strategies we're going to discuss now. So let's start at the very beginning. A one-watch collection. David, you mentioned in your article that many collectors at some point during their collecting career fantasize about the possibility of getting down to one watch. Could you talk a little bit about that and give us an idea as to why you think that or why you think you've experienced that yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I think and I've said this, not just in this article, uh, but several other pieces I've written in the past. To me, the, the reference on this is a piece that uh, Jason Heaton wrote for Hodinkee like years ago now. And uh, it was on a trip that he was on and uh, he had met up, I think with, it was another photographer and had bought himself a uh, a Rolex GMT, I think it was. And this had been all around the world with him on jobs. I guess he you know, did chores in it, just kind of lived his life in it. And this prompted uh, Jason Heaton to think like, man, it'd be great to, uh, to have this experience for myself. And just quick detour, the only other person that comes to mind personally with that was my father. So my dad was given a, a two-tone Rolex for, I think it was 20 years at the company he worked at. I now have it, and that was the only watch he had. And so I guess when you talk about a one-watch collection, it's kind of wild that this concept even exists because to people who aren't into watches, it's just a watch. Like it's the one, it's the it's the watch that I own. That is the watch that I have. Therefore, it's a one-watch collection. But 
watch nerds are the ones that have christened it as such. So when you look at something like this, I guess I just had this moment in my head where uh, the only people who are likely going to have a one watch collection are those who don't really care too much about watches, if that makes any sense. Because once you're in the rabbit hole, one watch is just not going to scratch that itch for you anymore. Can I ask you a couple of questions? All right. Firstly, I want to I want to sort of lay out some ground rules for this term, one watch collection. I don't think that we're talking about someone that just owns one watch. I think we're talking about somebody who has deliberately curated their watch holding down to one piece. I think that if you buy a watch and it's your only watch and it's just a watch to tell the time, or even if it's just one watch that you think is enough for you from a stylistic or mechanical or philosophical perspective, I don't think that makes it a one watch collection. You know, that's just a watch. I think the only way you can have a one watch collection in the way we're talking about is to have had a multi-watch collection and then to have scaled back to one because because then it becomes an appreciable concept, right? Yeah, I think it's fair. I agree with that. Okay, okay. Second question is, is it really actually possible? Okay, it's possible. Of course, it's possible. It's possible to have zero watches at all. But is it really possible to have one watch when you are someone who wears watches? Because obviously, there are multiple types of watches for multiple applications. So case in point, as I'm sitting here now in preparation of this episode, I have got all of my watches out around me. I have three cases all open surrounding my laptop and the microphone. I'm looking at them. And in my hands, I have a Casio G-Shock that I'm actually thinking of giving to a friend of mine. But I need a G-Shock or some kind of sports watch for running it. If I were to trim down my collection to one piece, I'd maybe be looking at something like a Langomatic Perpetual Calendar. But I'm not going to go swimming or running or climbing in it. So Am I excluded from the conversation or is it okay to have like a device, like maybe an Apple watch in addition to one proper watch in your opinion, in this context of a one watch collection? Yeah, that's an interesting sort of sub question to the first one that you asked. You know, I I will say that uh, one of the, in fact, I got several pieces of feedback on this article and a lot of it was to the extent of, you know, I could never get down to one, a handful maybe, but one and spoiler for everyone. I'm not at one watch either, right? I mean, I think at some point I'll just go ahead and reveal most of what I have. Um, but I'm not at one. And there's reasons for that. I mean, part of it's because I just like a watch too much and I actually wear it uh, or it's been inherited or it means something to me. Uh, so I, I'm not down to one. I'm a lot better off than I was before, but not down to one. And to your question, Rob, you know, it is true there are watches that, you know, are f- suited for multiple applications, but at the same time, uh, going back to the uh, going back to the, the the Jason Heaton piece, you could actually do quite a bit in these watches. Like a Rolex Datejust is not a dive watch, but to the extent someone or most people wear dive computers nowadays, I don't count that as a watch. And you probably could take your Datejust diving with you, right? And I know people because I've seen them post pictures on Instagram. They will lift weights in their Datejust. Uh, these are very robust pieces, and so I think that. They can do a lot more than uh, we give them credit for. So I guess, you know, Rob, to your point, I I do think strictly speaking, if one, you know, weren't too precious with their stuff, they could get down to one watch. But if someone also said, I'm just going to have a small handful to kind of manage the various different things around my life, um, I think that'd be fine too. And for the record, 
uh, an Apple Watch to me is a device. I, I would not include it as part of a, a watch collection. That just kind of be out of scope for the the talk that we're having today. For the sake of argument, of course, a smartwatch is a watch. But as we speak to watch nerds, and most of our listeners are probably watch nerds or aspiring watch nerds or aspiring to build a collection, I want to exclude that rope for this discussion. Let's call smartwatches in this context devices, health devices or work efficiency devices and not so much part of a watch collection. But that being said, what's a secret watch, right? Which we kind of like. So difficult one, but for argument's sake, I rule them out. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I don't think that they should really be in the conversation as a competitor to that one spot on the wrist. By the way, shout out to our friends in the real-time network. Vubui and Lydia Winters have just released their own podcast, This Watch Life. You can check that out on all regular podcast players. And they were discussing how they have a penchant for double wristing. So both of them tend to wear, although Lydia's quite embarrassed by it, I believe, wear an Apple Watch on one wrist and a real watch, shall we say, on another. Okay, I wonder whether this goal is actually one we should genuinely aim to achieve. I think that it is a very, very healthy conversation to have constantly. And I think there are several conversations like it within our hobby that are healthy to have constantly. Whether or not we should actually achieve the one watch dream, questionable. David, what do you think? So I, unfortunately, I can't source this for you, but uh, I'm going to ask you, Rob and Alon, how many objects, and just off the top of your head, how many objects do you think are in a given household on average? And I think it's this was an American household. I heard it referred to. So just off the top of your head, say a number. How many individual objects do you think are in a given household in America at a given time? 462. Okay. Alan, what do you think? Do clothing count? Uh, yeah, just objects. And then it's definitely four figures, maybe five figures. So I'll go for 9,999. Okay. I was shocked. And again, I, I don't have the source for this, but I, I am very clear on remembering it. The average household, and remember, we're considering pencils, paper clips, mugs, everything. 300,000 wow. is the average number. Bullshit. Okay. No, no Bullshit. it's you. I, I think that <laughs> I, I was I was shocked. But the number, I think Alan had the right idea. Like, it's a high number. And I guess, you know, what I'm finding, and it's, I, in fact, I had this thought the other day. You know, there's this saying, like, youth is wasted on the young. But I think the, the point there is that there's certain things that you can't enjoy without going through a process, and there's a cost to that process. And I'm finding the same thing for clothes, books. I mean, fountain pens is another thing I like. When you get to a certain age or a point in life, you've kind of figured out, like, this is what works for me. The trouble is that to get to that point, you have to figure out what is it that works for me, right? And I think that is just so the case with watches where you have different styles, different applications, you buy them at different points in your life for different occasions. And so for me, I just reached the point where I was like, yeah, I know what I like. I'm comfortable with what I like. And so I feel good just saying like, this is the subset of watches for me. Rob, what do you think? I think that was an excellent point. Very elegantly made. I have to doff my cap to you for that. I want to respond to something you said. I think Alan was right, but I'm not sure he had the right idea because I think the right idea is what you're expressing there. It takes a lot of time, self-reflection and experience to realize what really matters to one. And I think the older we all get, 
we realize there is more value in fewer things of great quality, be that objects or relationships or any of the detritus of life in general that follows us around through existence. So whether or not we should actually get to one watch, I don't know. But I think that it's a noble cause to try and reduce our holding for many, many reasons. I mean, what I love about this conversation, aside from the way that you presented it, was how it it's an intersection of several ideas that we've been discussing at length tangentially for many months. And one of them is my personal crisis when it came to the nature of ownership, as I've discussed extensively on this podcast before, having too many things and not dedicating enough time to them. I've not had the same restrictions placed on the access to my watches as you found when you moved to France, David. But I did exactly as you advised in the episode, and I took one watch out. I took my Glastatur Original 1970s chronograph out, and I put the rest of my watches in a case, several cases, under the bed, and I did not touch them for a couple of weeks. And surprisingly, distressingly, I was totally fine with it. In fact, I also had this rush of satisfaction, not just getting the most out of the most expensive watch I've ever bought for myself, but also not having to think about it in a way. And I don't want to make out that I really struggled with the looking at the watch box. It's always a privilege to be able to choose from multiple objects, but there is something kind of cool about, you know, being defined by one watch, by your kids or your nephews or even your elder peers knowing you for one particular timepiece. And when I think about family members, most of my family, uh, the generation above my parents are, are dead. And unfortunately, none of them has left me a watch to wear. I've encouraged my father and my mother to start wearing watches in their later years so that there is an heirloom there to be worn. And now when people think of my mom, they find it hard to separate the Nomos Tangenta from her wrist. So I think there's something really, really nice about that. Like when you look at an object, you say, okay, that is that person encapsulated in that spirit. But man, it's tough because now I've got the watches out again and I've opened up my cases around me and I have my uh, my trading block on the right of me, which has got one, two, three, four, five, six, 10 watches in it ready to be sold. And on the left of me, I have the watches that I feel like I definitely need to keep. And there is uh, six, 12, 18, uh, around 30 pieces there. A little, a little fewer than 30, maybe 28, 27 perhaps. Now, do I need 27 watches? The answer is no. What do I do, David? Where do I start? Oh, geez. Well, you know, it's it sounds super corny, but uh, I, I definitely go back, like Marie Kondo, I think, put, the re- there's a reason she's quoted so much. It's like, what sparks joy for you? Because, uh, you know, I was thinking how I was going to put this before I joined the show. And there's this term in economics, which is like, Pareto efficiency. So when something is Pareto efficient, it means you can't make anything, you can't remove something without making the whole system worse off, basically. So Rob, in your case, it sounds like those 27 watches, you like having them around, right? And I think that's fine. Like if it makes you happy to have them around, that's that's a good thing. Um, So I wouldn't force yourself to necessarily get rid of something just for the principle of it. I think where it becomes problematic is where you have all this stuff like, okay, Rob, so I'm going to pull in another, I'm going to name drop another famous uh, watch blogger, um, Ariel Adams. He did a series when the pandemic started on his watch collection and it was fascinating. Like 
it's he, he's not going after bling like he's just going after stuff that interests him it was cool to watch but like i got anxiety watching it because i was like where is where is he putting all these watches when where does he find time for them but if he enjoys wearing them or owning them i should say then good for him you know there's no need to do anything with that so i think it really comes out of the personal preference rob to your point like if if you get this feeling that you're carrying around dead weight you should make a move. But if just looking at them brings you happiness, then good. You got what you paid for. Well, I'm not sure it does bring me intense happiness. I also have this pang of anxiety, as you speak of, because there are watches that I don't wear enough to justify having them, but I can't really sell for either political or emotional reasons. Or maybe emotional is not the word. Maybe sometimes even just financial. It makes no sense. For example, I've got two very small, well, 31 millimeter Kinsler watches, one of which I found in the back of a thrift shop in Dresden, bought for 28 euros. It was completely battered. The crystal was, uh, well, it's a Perspex. It was completely scratched to hell. You couldn't even see the dial. But because I have a fondness for bringing old Hesselite back to life by rubbing it with toothpaste and a soft cloth, little trick for anyone that doesn't want to spend money on Polywatch, you can just use uh, toothpaste, but not the granulated type. Don't put any stones on your watch crystal and then the movement needed a little bit of TLC and it came back to life and I stuck it on a force and a band and it's worth absolutely nothing. I mean, the bracelet's worth more than the watch, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's got a place in my heart. I have an answer for you. I had the same issue. There were watches that I just couldn't be bought. Like I wasn't going to bother, you know, so spoiler again, you know, when I sold these watches, I went through uh, through Ace with Alan. He was hugely helpful, but I'm not going to go to Ace for like a, you know, a Seiko King Turtle, at least I, you know, Alan, correct me if I'm wrong, like maybe I should have sold you that as well. But uh, what I actually did with some of the watches was uh, I gave them, gave them away. Like uh, I had a, a Hamilton Pilot watch and a Seiko King Turtle, the green grenade dial. And um, my my brother-in-law just had a, a, a son. So it's my nephew now. And uh, I was like, well, hey, you know, you, he, so he's a doctor. I was like, I know you can't wear this all the time, but maybe you can keep track of appointments with it and you can give it to your son, you know, in 18, 20 years time or whatever. And now every picture I see of him, he's wearing that Seiko King turtle. I I wish he would find the time to go get the Hamilton bracelet sized. He hasn't done that yet, but the King turtle is on a strap and he wears it. So Rob, what I would say is if it's not worth it to sell it and it's just taking up space, I could think of like five different types of people that might just appreciate you giving them a free watch, right? Like younger relatives, you know, maybe up and coming watchmaking students so that they can put their own touch on it, uh, anything like that. But I think giving watches away is a super gratifying thing because you feel good. Maybe you turn them on to the hobby and more importantly, maybe the watch actually gets worn. You know, maybe the right thing to do is to start giving away watches to the community in some capacity because- I have quite a small immediate family and I've already lumbered my two-year-old nephew with his first NASA flick flag and he wears it all the time, which is super cute. He has no idea what it is, I guess, but he, he does look at his watch curiously, but I can't give him another one. My poor brother, my younger brother, I say my poor brother, he's probably made up about it. He, I've given him 10 watches maybe and I've sort of long-term indefinitely loaned him watches that are too kind of expensive to give as a present without him feeling guilty or responsible, but watches I know that I just won't wear enough and I know that he'll enjoy more than I will having those. He's also got watch boxes from me. Like when I've upgraded my cases, 
I give him my old Peli cases. So he's doing all right, actually, out of it. But I do feel like, am I just forcing my hobby on other people? Because my girlfriend, she mocks me, sometimes criticizes me a little for only buying people watches or time-related items. And I shrug and I say, well, it's, it's what I know. You know, it's, you know I, I, I know that I can give somebody a good present that they weren't expecting because I have access to all this knowledge and this community. And I think that's a nice thing. And I would like to be gifted things from experts in other fields. You know, if one of my friends is a sommelier and if she ever wanted to buy me a bottle of wine, I'd be absolutely overjoyed with it. So I don't know. Um, I think you're right. Giving watches away is certainly better than uh, selling them when they don't have any serious monetary value, but they could provide joy. But Alan, let's start this conversation right at the top again. Do you think it's healthy to have a one watch collection idea floating around in your mind when you're buying pieces or not? Healthy? Hell no. But for whom? So for us crazy people, is it healthy? Maybe. Is it for somebody who wants to unclutter? Like you've said earlier, and I agree with you, we should have less things. What you said, David, it's utter bonkers. It's crazy to have 300,000. I don't even remember how many you said, but I think it was a third of a million. So it's crazy. And and my wife and I also, um, when we had kids, we were actually disappointed how little quality toys you can buy. So think of wooden toys. So we tend to buy less junk, read plastic toys, and get the kids uh, like like a uh, a kitchen made of wood. All their toys are mostly from wood. So we want quality stuff. I mean, my parents kept, I had a old wooden truck with wooden blocks. So that thing is literally 44 years old. And so my kids both play with it. So talking about quality and lasting and in a world where we have a shared economy and we want to save the planet and, and recycle and reuse and uh, upskill and upcycle. In that context, it's healthy because instead of buying a zillion, let me call it fashion watches, so I'm thinking of the fossils or Michael Kors or diesel uh, watches of this world where they're not even fully stainless steel, if you know what I mean, those watches that are brass and nickel plated or even when they have a gold color on them, it's a throwaway economy and that I'm not in favor of. So if that person decides to say, hey, instead of buying 10 watches at 100 euros or even 10 watches at 1,000 euros, and I know many of them and I cater to many of them, I would prefer that they indeed buy, instead of 10 times 100, a 1,000 euro watch. So let's say a mechanical Tissot, Longines, Frédéric Constant, Nomos, you need to add a bit more nowadays for Nomos. Back in the day, you could have gotten a club at 1080. Remember, Rob, the good old days where we said it was a bargain, but still a bargain at 1300. So, and, and, and if you have that financial mean to spend the 10K, yes, it is healthy to, let's say, get your, for a lot of people, a Rolex is a great watch. So get that Rolex. Why not? Go for it. And in that context, it's healthy. For us, nutters, watch geeks, watch nerds, it's, I guess, not that healthy because we'll walk around with that itch the rest of our lives. 
Do you gents catch my drift? I do catch your drift, yeah. I, I certainly agree with you. Certainly looking at my collection now, if I could consolidate, if I could just click my fingers and even just get retail back on, say, 10, 15, 20 other watches around me and convert them into one mega piece, I would do that now. But I have two questions again. Okay, firstly, a quick one. Do you feel personally that the itch to buy is still as strong as it always was? Is it stronger? I personally feel that my itch to buy is diminishing and I'm getting much better at saying no to stuff. And the second question, which we'll touch on after David's given me his response, I can see his hand popping up in the chat there. Let's talk about Grail Watch in this context of one watch because a Grail Watch and an Exit Watch are not necessarily the same thing. And I think that we need to address that as well as talking about the one watch collection. David, hit me up. Yeah, no, I, my desire to buy, as I mentioned in the article, has has definitely gone down. And not just for watches, but for everything, because now I'm so much more comfortable in my tastes. I ha- I know, because I have a history built up now, of if I tell myself, oh, I really need this, uh, I know whether or not I'm actually going to use it you know, going forward. Like I think you have to separate the ownership of something from the idea of its ownership. And this is why watch companies spend so much on marketing, right? It's like, you can climb a mountain with this. And so you think, oh yeah, I'm going to go on all these adventures with this watch. But then you realize, no, my life didn't really change because I bought the watch, right? So do you wear it? Maybe, maybe not. I've gotten a lot more discerning at that. So I would say that I don't buy as much. I'm much more intentional with the buying decisions that I make. And that has helped me filter a lot of things out of my life that I probably would have, you know, taken a chance on before. And now I'm like, nope, I like the idea of it. I know that in reality, it's not going to bring me the bang for buck that I want. So I'm going to hold my, uh, hold my euros for the next purchase. I've said this many times on air. This podcast is not good for me. It's not good for my wallet and not good for my OCD collecting habit because I think I'm an old geezer. I'm 44. I feel old. I'm getting old. I'm four years stuck in my midlife crisis. And that caused for me to buy more watches. Being on this podcast now for over a year, I don't think I've bought that many watches ever a year in a year. So it's a very simple answer, Rob. No, it did not diminish. And I don't see how, when, or why I should stop. That being said, though, I I have too much, so I was forced to let go. And obviously, you go through these cycles, enough is enough. Do I have enough? What's enough? Do I enjoy them? So at the beginning of this conversation, David also said to you, Rob, does it give you pleasure? That's also my northern light, my guiding point. I My tactic of letting go of watches is I ice out a watch. So if a watch suddenly seems not eligible of being there anymore in that watch box in your collection, then I pause. I have sold many watches that I regret selling. So my personal solution to that was, and it's similar to David's, I I sat that watch, meaning I take it out of the box, put it away somewhere in the back of the vault, don't give it headspace, don't wear it. And then either it's a natural period of six months minimum and then I take it out and if it brings me joy while I put it on my wrist again it deserves to stay 
if the joy has diminished or is not that high anymore compared to what it was, it's time to let it go. So that's my tactic. Okay, understood. So you're still caught in the throes of desire. New watches coming out all the time still pique your interest and you cycle through your collection where necessary to make sure that you've got whatever gives you passion available to your wrist. Let's talk about the Grail Watch concept. Now, for anyone that doesn't know, if you're new to watchmaking, a Grail Watch is basically the watch that you aspire to own more than any other watch. It's often talked about in conjunction with another type of watch, an exit watch, which is supposed to be the watch that when you buy, you will exit the collecting game entirely. Now, these two things can be the same or they can not be the same. Normally, if you believe in the concept of an exit watch, I would say your Grail watch probably is your exit watch. Unless, for example, your Grail watch could be something very high-end like a HYT Moonrunner, let's say, and your exit watch might be something that you need to complete a specific collection for example, if you collected the Omega Swatch Moon Swatches and you needed, I don't know, Neptune to complete the set, that could be the one that you say, okay, I'm going to buy that and then I'm going to stop collecting. So they could be different, but they generally are the same. Do either of you, let's start here, have Grail Watches? I do not. Uh, I, and I don't think I ever have, actually, because... I'm I'm realistic in the sense that I'm I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and tell listeners like I will never buy another watch again because it's not true. Now it might not be next year, it might be five or ten years from now. But more than likely I'll buy another watch. The other thing um is that even though you would inherently get bang for your buck from that grail watch, I think the implication is is that it's quite expensive or it's rare. And I just look at what's on my wrist now and I'll I'll spoil part of what I got. Uh, although I've shared it in a couple of pictures, the, the main watch that I traded up to was a Cartier Santos, which is fantastic. And I just think of like, now granted, this is not a longa. I understand that. But when I look at the marginal jump from what I have on my wrist now to something like a longa, I just think, why do I need to do that? You know, why do I need to to save all that money and and limit myself to something like that when the Santos on my wrist is already fantastic, already does everything the longa can do. And that uh, provides me uh, a really nice feeling of, yeah, getting my money's worth on it. So that's a, a long answer to your question, Rob, is of uh, no, no, no Grail watches for me and, and no Grail watches my foreseeable future. So just to follow up on that, David, before we listen to Alon's response there, does that mean therefore that you don't have an exit watch and you don't believe in the concept? Uh, yeah, I guess it does. Yeah, because I, you know, well, certainly regardless of what's on my wrist, I will always be fascinated by watches. I will always be fascinated by the people and watches. So I think we're just talking about the material aspect of the hobby here. But uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think that to cut yourself off definitely from anything in life is is a bad choice to make, right? Uh, not judge, well, I guess it sounds like I am, but in my particular point of view, I'd much rather say I am happy with what I have now. I am very happy, presumably for the foreseeable future, and I'll change my plans if something comes down the road. But I think an exit watch is just something way too definite and limiting for me to consider. So for me, an exit watch is something totally different than a grail watch. And I've said it several times on air. I have many grail watches. The, the to-go watch for me has been for almost 25 years. 
an FB Jaune. And it's both a resonance and a tubio. I kind of want both. So that defies the whole purpose of one Grail watch because I can't choose. But second and third were very close in Uvec and an MBNF. Vianney Halter, and then a Patek 24.99, and that's it. And, and my list goes on. What the midlife crisis and the pandemic did to me is it effectuated the YOLO vibe. You only live once. So I bought the Uvex. So I'm working on trying to achieve and obtaining grail watches that are my list. Now... Collectors do this game a lot. I, I do it with myself and, 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 and with my brother as well very often. And he's actually thinking of going towards Exit Watch, which is obviously ironic as a jeweler, but okay. And we'll keep on developing uh, collabs. So automatically he accumulates watches because we always keep a watch that we co-design. So... It is ironic even. But if many people ask me as an advisor, if I had one watch, what should I have? And then when I give that advice, I would say, hey, would I follow up that advice, right? So for me, if I would go for an exit watch, if one day I decide to stop being a watch collector, doesn't mean I don't appreciate watches, it doesn't mean I don't love them. As a kid, I don't know if you guys remember that Mondani sold off all his Rolexes. His daughter is now still busy. They made the books. I don't know if you guys remember. Was one of the biggest Rolex collectors. Is that Georgia? His daughter. That That's the daughter, yes. So you often see this that super collectors, collectors of whatever, not just watches, also art or cars. At a certain point, they feel that they've collected everything that they wanted to collect and they the button switches off. They make a 180 and they literally sell off everything. And as a kid, when I heard that the first time, I was, I was in shock. It shocked me. But you see it in waves, also in the watch business, right? The most recent one was, uh, I believe it's a French gentleman with the Oak collection, the OAK. So he has Audemars Piquet, Royal Oak watches, but it was a bigger collection. I don't know if you guys remember. Well, I believe it was last year that he presented this collection and started selling off stuff as well. Yeah, it was only a few months ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an example, right? So I look at these guys and I don't know if I admire them or think they're utter nutters. So for me, an exit watch would be one watch, and I would go down to the basics, meaning I wouldn't go for an ultra expensive one because I would be scared to wear it sometimes. And how can I not wear a watch? So I always need a watch on the wrist. So an ultra expensive one is a no-go. So precious metals, probably not. Unless it's maybe platinum or white gold, but don't think so. So that leaves steel or titanium watches. Then... I love leather straps, but I also wear my watch when I travel, swim, work out. So then steel is better or titanium. So you narrow it down, right? So most probably I'll end up either 
with an Amiga Speedmaster, but not waterproof. So Rolex, but then again, nowadays in the major European cities, you don't want to walk around with a Rolex, not even an OP. So it creates issues. And, and you see, that's where I strand. I get stuck. I can't move on. And I just let go of the whole idea. So, and, and, and Grail watches, well, what a joy. And, and in, in many languages and also in Dutch, you have an uh, old proverb. The, the hunt is nicer than the catch, right? So I still enjoy that journey. And I'm not even close of thinking of exit watches, a one watch collection, and Grail watches. I hope that I'll keep on liking the hunt for those Grail watches till I die. Alan, you made a really good point about um, these super collectors just flipping a switch and going all in, because that's exactly what happened to me. I was like, oh, I'll just sell one. Okay, maybe two. And then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, this is all going out the door. And Rob, I'd be curious to know what your experience is, is if you start going down the path, because I think you might set out to sell X and end up selling like 2X afterwards. So uh, I think that's a good point. The second point, and I, I definitely don't want to get sidetracked on this, but I think that particular reflex, you know, we talked about predictions for 2024 in a previous episode, and there's been such a, a cycle of FOMO uh, and just like buying watches just because, right? And I think that as the hangover kind of sets in and some of these collectors have the same impulses and thoughts that we're all three discussing, uh, if you are in the market for a watch, it might be a pretty good time actually, because I think all of these watches that were bought almost on impulse are now going to be heading out as we move into 2024 and people really start reconsidering what their collections look like. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I've seen some stunning drops in secondary market prices for pieces that I would have put in my grail tier. I, I don't know, Alon, if I could ever say that you could have more than one grail watch. I think it, I, I guess what you're saying is you have multiple aspirational pieces of a similar level. I think the concept of the grail is simply that it is the one, and I don't expect every watch collector to be able to say, oh, this is the one watch for exactly the reasons that you illustrated in your breakdown. Personally, I also am on the same track i guess it's a bit of a cop out but i think for me grail and maybe exit i suppose they align uh, because i feel like it's the top of the mountain and where do you go from there and i don't have any smaller collections like i was saying that specific collections that require me to flesh out one particular line like moon swatches for example i've always desired a langer and zona not specifically one model i have vacillated on my opinion of the best or my favorite, I've gone from Langer 1s, Moon Phases. I've even thought about a Zeitwerk. I have recently fallen in love with the Langermatic Perpetuals, as I think I expressed on a previous episode. I saw a Platinum one with a Torp dial available from Subdial in the UK, and I really, really wanted to shift the majority of my collection to get it, but unfortunately it went very quickly at £40,000. They currently have another one online in honey gold, which despite being uh, just a difference in material and no mechanical difference whatsoever, is selling for almost £80,000, so almost exactly double the platinum version, which blows my mind. That may be the kind of watch that if I ever obtained 
I would not see any reason in buying more, but I think what we're all coming to realize is a one watch collection is very, very different from a grail watch or an, or maybe it is an exit watch by definition. And it has to be very versatile. It has to be rugged, resilient. It has to have water resistance. It has to have a hardy strap or bracelet. It should be something that can work in multiple situations. For us as watch guys, that's obviously difficult because we see very minute differences between watches that other people maybe wouldn't acknowledge. For example, I know plenty of guys that work in, let's say, finance, and they'd happily wear a Rolex Explorer 2 to work and at the weekend. And maybe it's because it's a very, very good, versatile watch. But I look at that and think it's a bit too brutish to be worn in a business setting. That's a setting where I'd much rather strap on a Langer or a Nomos, for example. So let's let's park the Grail conversation we'll leave exit floating around and let's now try and work out if we had to pick one watch for a one watch collection based on the specs we've discussed it needing to possess what would it be can we beat? let's start with a rolex explorer 2 an old reference a 40 millimeter one let's say let's start there and give me your alternatives to that i did something Walking up to this episode. So I said, what watch am I going to wear when we record? What, which I do, by the way, for every episode. Maybe I've never said it, but I literally think about what am I going to wear during a particular episode. If it's a brand that we invite as a guest and I own that watch, I obviously will wear that. Now, I thought about this one for weeks took a lot of brain power. So can you guys maybe guess what I put on? It's maybe an interesting game. Oh, this is fun. This is a good question. Go on, David. Okay. I've never met Alan in person, but I've heard he is very partial to his Octo Finissimo. So that is what I'm going to go with for my guess. I don't know what to say because that's a really good guess. Now, let me think. The Octofinissimo Alon owns is the titanium version, which is extremely slim. I don't think the titanium Octo has 100 meters water resistance. I believe the steel Octofinissimo, which is a couple of millimeters thicker, and therefore always my preference, has 100 meters water resistance. So I'm going to say it's not. Alon, don't jump in if I'm wrong, because, you know, we'd like to see me with egg on my face as often as possible. Let me think. 100 meters. So let's say I think it has to have 100 meters. So it won't be something like, can't be any of his non-wasters bar the clubs, because the clubs do have a double gasketed crown. So they are water resistant to 100 meters. He has done two, no, three special edition clubs, I think, with Ace. The first one together we did when I was at Nomos, and then two more afterwards. But he wouldn't, surely he wouldn't go as low as a club. And they're all on a leather strap, except for his most recent collab, which comes on a fabric NATO, either blue or orange. He's going to be impressed that I remember his uh, his club collection like this. Um, he's got a couple of Zeniths. El Primero is a damn good movement. That would be a good go anywhere, do anything kind of watch. I can't remember exactly. I think he's got a Chronomaster Sport. 
I'm going to say the Zenith Chronomaster Sport. It might be ridiculous, but Alan, tell us what you're wearing. I strapped on, and you guys could have guessed, the Omega Speedmaster Moonwatch that my wife gave me when our son was born. That's an absolute cop-out. You've just said previously that the Omega Speedmaster Moonwatch, as wonderful as it is, and as significant as that watch is because of it marking a wonderful point in your life, congratulations, by the way, it's got 50 meters water resistance. Exactly. And that's why I could never have a fun watch collection. But, so I strapped that on. So intuitively, I gravitated to that one. Because my wife, what does a wife of a jeweler give her husband when the son is born? So we thought about that for over a year, more than a year. What watch should she buy me? And what watch, obviously, will go to our child? And so we boiled it down to Rolex and Omega because of timelessness, epicness, and the, both the passion we have for both brands. The both of us for both brands. And the most important thing was timelessness. And although an Explorer 1 was nominated, we didn't do it because it had a bigger stigma. Rolex, and you want to give the watch to your child, probably 18. You know that we celebrate bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. Often watches are given then as well. They're not allowed to wear it, but maybe on special occasions. So they're even younger. So we went for a timeless watch, Explore One. Or a moon watch. Why did it become a moon watch? Because I think it's maybe the most timeless watch ever. It doesn't change, right? The Explorer keeps on changing. And that's why we went for it. Although the downside of it not being waterproof. Obviously, I expect and I kind of hope that both my children will not be one watch people. By the way, we also have a beautiful daughter. And then we had another problem. What watch do we buy the her? So we said, oh, we'll go for Cartier, something very girly. And then we said, no, it needs to be very close to her brother, her sibling. So I managed to obtain one of the last first Omegas in space, the FOIS, rolling out of production in Bien. And we said, hey, it's a bit smaller. They're similar, so they have similar watches. Now, spoiler alert, I did buy a 40 and 36 Explorer 1. So thank you to the TRTS Network member who helped me out with this. You know who you are. Thank you. And I'm saving that. So I'm automatically not making them one watch people. If they don't like watches, they're eligible to sell them off. But the two Omegas are engraved with their name and date of birth. So if they don't want them, lucky me, I have two of them. And, uh, and, and, and that's the story why I strapped this on. 
Do you guys want me to rebut on all the options that you mentioned, or should we leave it for now? Firstly, the first Omega in space, Speedmaster, is a great, great choice. Really underrated. When I heard it was being discontinued, I also tried to snaffle one myself, and I found the last remaining piece in, oh God, I can't remember what jeweler it was. I think it was a Fraser Hart or Chisholm Hunter or something in Inverness. And I tried to buy it online, but I think they had a they had an issue with the stock counting and the piece that was listed online wasn't actually available. So I think I bought it and then they had to refund me and say, sorry, we sold it in store. Devastated because it was really good. It's got the alpha hands, hasn't it? That one, which is, uh, I think, a, a lovely handset and actually better, in my opinion, than the standard handset. That's just a personal preference. Lovely choices for your kids. What I would like to hear, yes, I'd like to hear a rebuttal on the... Uh, Finissimo, the clubs I mentioned, and also the Chronomaster Sport. But then I would like you to give us your nominee for the One Watch collection. Then I'd like to hear David's, or I'd like to guess David's, and then I'd like you both to guess mine. And then we'll round out this show and tee up episode two of this analysis, where we're going to get to find out exactly what process David went through and the data he accrued from his experience. All right, Alon, give us your feedback on the choices we made for you. Chronomaster Sport, no, because I love the watch. And I've always said I don't like ceramic bezels so much. I wear it a lot. But would it be my one watch or exit watch? No, because I'm scared to bang the ceramic bezel. So that's a problem. Uh, And it's a bit too shiny for my taste to be my only watch. The Octo Finissimo... It's, it's, I guess, too edgy for every day. And your analysis was right. It's not waterproof enough. And therefore, you have to go to the steel one. But I could never, ever part with my first ever Octofinissimo, which is the tonsuton, the tonal, on tonal, gray, gray, gray titanium. If I would ever add another Octo, it has to be the 18 karat pink gold, full satinated Octofinissimo. So only one that I'll wear next to my titanium. I'll never let go of the titanium in that sense. Um, all the clubs. Well, nominating an Ace Collab to be sold whew, over my dead body. Same goes for our Sherpa TRTS buddy. So if I would do what David did, that's what I've been thinking recently. You scale down You're going to skim off your collection. You're going to reduce your collection. You start off with the outer rings of the onion, right? So if I look at it as an onion, if I take a metaphor of an onion, and then it's those that get the least risk time, are they nominated? No. The benchmark is, which one makes you the happiest or do you have the strongest ties with? So obviously I chose the one that I got gifted for becoming a dad, the most important life moment in my life. Now, another watch that's dear to me is a watch my parents gifted me, and I've said this in the review episode of the Rolex GMT Master. I don't know if you remember, gents. So I have a, I believe, a 1999 version of a GMT Master 1. That's a watch that's very dear to me and will be one of the last ever go. But the collabs 
are just below the watches I got gifted from my wife for becoming a dad. So you were close, Rob, with all those um, Ace Nomos collabs. And by the way, thank you for the amazing review or article analysis that you did for Watch Gecko because we co-designed the Ace Nomos collab, the Orion, the style collab. So if you guys want to read why Rob will never sell that watch, which really ties into this story, just Google Watch Gecko and then, or go to their website. So I guess it's watchgecko.com and read why Rob will never sell that watch. So maybe Rob, Mike is yours. Yeah, thanks for the shout out for the uh, the Watch Gecko article. That's very nice of you to mention. Um, I might have shot myself in the foot here a little bit because, of course, by saying I would never sell that watch, and the, the concept of that article was one watch you would never sell. And for me, the first watch Al and I ever designed together, or, or well, we brought it to market together, really, didn't we? we? We didn't actually design the dial ourselves. But the first watch we ever worked on together has such a special place in my heart, not because of just the memories, but also the memories we're yet to make as the real-time show goes forward and grows apace as we expect it to over the next few years. It's just, it's a seminal moment. I don't have any children. I guess the, the birth of this show is one of the most significant things of my life. So yeah, that one sticks out. But it, it isn't going to be my nomination for a one-watch collection. I'll say that. So I hope that doesn't sound too contradictory. I guess what I'm saying is if I were to advise on a particular type of watch, I know which type of watch I would go for. I actually know which watch I would go for now but I won't tell you. Let's try and guess David's first, and then you guys can try and guess mine. Now, David might be the easiest one to guess, and I hope that it's not too uh, much of a cheap guess on my part, but I'm going to say that it's the Santos that he's already bought. So, Alon, do you have anything to add to that? No, dude. No, dude. It's obviously his dad's day just. Oh, fuck. But don't reply yet. Don't reply yet. Dude. <laughs> we, 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 we're going to do a bonus one. So let's assume he doesn't have that day just. So his dad's day just. If he didn't have that one, it's a very difficult call for me. Either Santos or the Blancpain. And I silently hope and root for the Blancpain. What's your second vote, Rob, if it wasn't the Santos? Do you agree with me that's the day just? You can change your options. You can move the Santos to the second pick. No, you know what? I'm going to stand pat. I'm going to stick with the Santos because I think that you've really pulled a great choice out of the bag there with the Blanc Pan. I don't want to water it down by having a second guess. Go on, David. Fill us in. Yeah, no, I think you're both right on the money. Uh, I would say, just just to make things a little more interesting, if, if someone were just asking us or asking me, rather, like, what should I get? I think one of the things I'm always super proud of with the feedback we get is that we cover all the range of prices, right? And I hope that we can continue to do that. So uh, the Santos is a great choice, but let me just offer two more really quickly. Uh, if you are just getting into the hobby, the Hamilton 38 millimeter uh, khaki automatic I own, and it is fantastic. And that is not a cheap watch. That is a, a level of money that most people would think is absurd for a watch. So it is a an extremely nice timepiece. Uh, and just to be interesting, again, if Santos isn't your speed, uh, and I were starting over again and I had a budget, it would be the Breguet Marine second generation. But uh, as of right now, yeah, I think if I had to get rid of everything, they just excluded Santos or Blanca. It would be a very tough call between the two of them. Well, 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 I think that David's choices are good, very good. But mine is 
slightly different, not a million miles away. Has anyone got any ideas what I might pick? And I'll give you a clue. There is a personal attachment to this watch for me, but I don't yet have it in my collection. Oh my gosh. Because I would have said Schofield Beater, actually. When you said emotional connection, I was like, I thought Schofield. Interesting. I'm sitting right next to my Schofield Beater B4 and also my Schofield Signalman, which I bought from my dear friend Thor Svabo, who writes for Fratello and GQ, amongst other outlets. He had number eight of 300 and eventually decided to move on from it, and I jumped at the chance to own that piece. But no, Schofield has my heart, but the watches are quite specific, and I don't think that they would be the best one-watch collection if we're talking about something that can go anywhere and do anything. So that's because you threw a curveball there. So, well, the Watch Gecko article is a, is a, is a curveball, but that will go really hell freezes over so and and if you go ice skating in hell that's frozen god watch you actually you know what you, you're sort of weirdly close to a beautiful segue into the winner there because if if hell froze over what would you need to remelt it <laughs> i you know what i actually have no idea it's it it could be l'aventure but that's not it it could be an arcanaut I, I, I really have no idea, but you said it needs to come yet, so it's on order. Well, not quite on order. So I haven't ordered one per se. I was involved in its design and the customers that backed the project are receiving their watches first, but I will eventually end up with one on my wrist and I can attest to it being a watch that can stand up to anything you can throw at it. You've designed a lot of watches, a lot of amazing watches. Could be Chapek, but you already have one that you've co-designed, which is the Antarctic. I have to go for another Chapek. That's my vote. Okay, interesting. They're very, uh, very ambitious, David. So if I have one more chance to guess, I'm going to go with Fortis. I think that's the one, is the Fortis uh, space. Good one, uh, David, good one. Uh, well, I didn't actually co-design any of the... Uh, the standard Fortis collection, I did have a hand in the chronograph that is uh, on Fratello right now with the brown dial. And, well, I didn't come up with the brown dial. The black subdials were my addition to that watch, so not a huge amount of uh, input. But actually, Fortis is a great shout. The Fortis Marine Master M40 that I wear is one of my most worn watches, and it is an absolute tank. And it's very similar to my choice, which, guys, is the Straum Jan Mayen. Oh, wow. Okay. 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 Yeah. My reasoning, of course, is aside from the fact that I was closely involved in its development and went on the trip to Yan Mayan to test these watches and to find real-life textures that we could put on the dial. This is a 39mm by 11.3mm watch in stainless steel with a integrated bracelet, beautiful stamped pattern inspired by, in this case, the interior of Birenberg Volcano. And it is yeah, basically indestructible an absolute beast and a watch that I would be proud to wear always. And I, I'm going to go with the red dial because not only is that the one that's closest to my heart because it's the special edition version that we released for Fratello, but also because red goes with basically everything and nothing. So if you're thinking about a watch that's going to coordinate, uh, you're going to struggle to get it right with a more standard color. Obviously, you could go white or black. They're both beautiful. My choice in the Stram collection would be the white one because I think that it really evokes the snow drifts that we saw on the mountainside but that's my watch and it's also very affordable it's only 1600 
euros excluding taxes. So that would be my choice, I think. It's kind of like a Rolex Explorer Lite, as it were. Very, very good pick. I should have known and guessed it made you literally a true, true explorer. So good one. Congrats. And it's a stunning watch. Ever since the launch with Fratello, that brand came on my radar. I loved it. I snoozed. Ever since I've been following them. It pops up on my Instagram once in a while for people that have one. I kind of really want one. So Rob, if I want one, where do I obtain it today? Well, unfortunately, if you want a red one, you're going to have to wait until people start flipping them on secondary marketplaces because they all sold out. We actually did a week-long availability window. That's how it worked. So we sold as many as people wanted, which was a sales strategy that I argued for because I, even in those days, was in a, on a crusade to destroy FOMO. So um, that one's gone, but there are four options available, black, blue, green and white you can get them from straum.co that's s-t-r-a-u-m dot c-o they're the only watches available in that collection at the moment because the guys are working on some follow-up pieces at as we speak and if i had to pick my top two and i'm gonna get my hands on both of them actually because i'm not a one watch collection guy as it would as it would appear are the white and the blue the blue is an absolutely exceptional shade of blue it pops it's eye-catching, it's endlessly entertaining to look at throughout the day. It shifts colors from morning, noon, and night. And the white one is just extremely versatile. So I'd say either one of those. And if you're interested, we can definitely get one on your wrist, Alan. All you have to do is say the word. Awesome. Could be my first watch of 24. Stay tuned. All right, okay, we're going to wrap up this episode now, and then we're going to be back next week with part two, where we're going to learn a little bit more about David's process of chiseling his collection down towards the one watch target. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so via our dedicated Instagram channel. That's at therealtime.show. You can contact all of us individually at either at Rob Nudds, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, at Alon Ben-Joseph, A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H, or at David Vauche, that's D-A-V-A-U-C-H-E-R. You can also contact us via email, either Rob or Alon at therealtime.show, or via the contact form on the website, www.therealtime.show. We'll be back very soon with an interview, and then next week again with part two of this analysis. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking. <laughs>